I want to take them. Well, there we go. Uh, sometimes I, I don't know if I just muted it. Uh, I want to take a moment, though, uh, before we, we begin with the message and uh, recognize our graduating seniors. Can we have our graduating seniors, or our graduated, I'm sorry, our seniors who graduated yesterday, can you come up? Like pulling teeth. I liked it better when you were two steps down. <laughs> this is Kenneth McElroy, and this is Connor Obey. They both graduated from um, Cloudcroft High School yesterday, so would you give them a big round of applause? And now they're both going to fly away from the nest. One's going to fly to Eastern New Mexico State University in Portales. Is that right? You're looking at me like I'm talking, talking a different language. The other one's going to fly away to Houston uh, and, and go to school there and has, is, I don't know how all this works. He has, is, and will be going into the Army National Guard. Is that right? Yeah. So that is awesome. So guys... Uh, I want to give you a couple of things. One is a devotional, and the other one, you can, you can grab that. The other one is a, a Bible study uh, called The Disciplines of a Godly Man. I just want to let you guys know that we uh, have been privileged to be a part of God moving and working in your life and to be a part of, of you graduating. Actually, your parents probably have more to do with that than we, but uh, so give them another round. Before y'all go down, I want to pray for you. Can I, can I split the Red Sea here? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for Connor. I thank you for Kenneth. Uh, I pray that, Lord, you would guide them, uh, lead them. I pray that you would bless them. Lord, I pray that you'd keep them close to you as they go into this new phase of life. Um, God, I pray, uh, Lord, that you would continue to build them into godly young men. And that they would be able to bring honor and glory to you. And God, that you would use them in great ways for the kingdom and for the sake of Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for letting me embarrass you just a little. I think they both would rather just sit in the back. In fact, they were kind of near there. So today, we begin a new series. And we're just going to kind of do a, a little short introduction into this book. This is a, a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Uh, we already went through a little series uh, with the, the letter that Paul wrote to Titus. Um, both of them, Timothy and Titus, are pastors. And so uh, I don't know uh, about you, but whenever, whenever there's something that God uh, God does that pertains to someone who does what you do, I tend to pay a little bit more attention. Um, and so for me, uh, I, I love these letters, but it's more than, you know, Scripture is always this way. It's more than simply God speaking into that particular circumstance and situation because God's word goes much further than the one person uh, that, it, that it reaches. It, it goes out to us all. So really, these are, are letters to pastors, but they pertain to churches. And so I, I know that, that there's no really such any such thing as one blueprint for every church. Uh, either either in the building wise or even form of worship. Uh, many of you who are a guest and those of you even who are members have been in other churches and I would pretty well guarantee that nearly every church you go to, their form of worship looks a little bit different. There's no 
blueprint for that kind of thing. But God does give in his word some things that, that pertain to every church. And so we're going we're gonna to look through that in the next uh, several uh, weeks, the next few months, as God writes um, or speaks to Timothy through the Apostle Paul uh, about the church that's there in Ephesus. Um, I already gave away like some of the some of the fill in the blanks there in your notes. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll keep it we'll keep it fairly brief today. I, I want to leave you wanting more. Isn't that what you want every every Sunday? I don't want you ever to leave and say, "Boy, I had enough of that." <laughs> I, I want you to leave saying, I, "I could use some more." Man, I I wished we'd gone two more hours. That's probably not going to happen. True story, when I first came, somebody told me this, and I think that they were just giving me a nugget of wisdom, but I took it real personal. Um, walked out, and that's when I used to stand and greet everybody as, as they left, and, and uh, they said, you know, I've, I've heard short sermons and I've heard bad sermons, but I've never heard a short, bad sermon. So, so we'll, we'll, we'll keep it good here. The letter of Paul to Timothy. Paul begins this way in, in nearly every letter that he writes, and it makes sense, really. Um, if you think of letters then, weren't like now, where we can open up a page, we see who it's to and who it's from at the same time. So, so at the beginning of the parchment, Paul uh, gives his greeting, and he identifies himself, and he identifies who he's writing to. So uh, look with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. He writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So let me give you just some preliminary things that I already kind of gave away a little bit. Um, so it's written by Paul. This is the apostle Paul. This is the guy that used to be called Saul. And in Acts, we see... Uh, Acts chapter 6, the, the first deacons uh, were appointed. And then uh, by Acts chapter, oh, I guess it's probably 7, the first deacon is martyred. I, I love to tease our deacons, and deacons realize I'm only teasing when I say, you know, the first martyr for their faith was a deacon. Just saying. It was there as Stephen was being killed for his faith that we first see Saul. Saul was a Pharisee. In fact, he describes himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the, of the tribe of Benjamin, a small tribe but favored tribe. He says, as to the law found blameless. Now, I don't know anybody uh, that could say that. As to the law found blameless. He was up and coming in the Jewish religious system. He was a leader among the Jews. A Hebrew of Hebrews, he says. And Paul is standing there, and, and the way Scripture reads in Acts, Paul not only stood there to watch the cloaks of the men who stoned Stephen, killed him for his faith, but it says he gave hearty approval. And then something happened in Paul. It sparked something that was already there, and he went on a rampage in the church. Paul would drag Christians off to trial. Most of them would be killed for their faith. 
He was a persecutor of the church, he describes himself. And then Paul, I guess, began to, to gain favor in the, the, the Jewish religious system among the leaders, and he got letters from the chief priests to go into Damascus to arrest Christians, bring them where they would most likely die for their faith. And it was on that road to Damascus that God got a hold of Paul. Actually, got a hold of Saul. Um, I, I love it. I almost wish we did this, but trust me, in this day and age of real ID stuff, you don't want to do this probably. I almost wish that, that when we came to faith in Christ that we would change our name to show the difference. He went from Saul, the persecutor of the church, to Paul, the encourager of the church. And Paul then, I, I love it, I won't get into this, it's just one of those fun stories. The Bible's so much fun. Uh, read the Bible and, and, and just immerse yourself in it. So Ananias is the one, Paul, uh, Paul or Saul, um, was confronted by Jesus himself on the road to Damascus and told him to go on into a street called Straight. That's funny, Straight Street. I don't make this up, it's in the Bible. Um, and, and there he would be told what to do. And so, uh, so we don't know if it's simultaneously or just after God speaks to Ananias and says, Ananias, I'm sending Saul to you. I want you to pray for him. And he goes, I've heard about this guy. <laughs> um, he's like the Gestapo. Uh, he shows up and talks, and then all of a sudden, you're not seen anymore. This is my paraphrase, by the way. And, and God says, do what I say, for I've chosen him, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. I think that's what got Ananias on board. He's going to suffer? So that's, that's the guy. He goes, he comes to faith in Christ. For three years, nobody would touch him in the Christian world. Do you blame them? They didn't believe it. Three years, this great guy named Barnabas, whose name means encourager, isn't that great? Barnabas took Paul, taught him, although God took a hold of Paul, and I'm sure Barnabas was taught some too, but he discipled Paul for three years and then brought him back to the apostles. For approval. That's this guy. And so Paul is writing to this young pastor. We know he's young because Paul says, let no one despise you for your youth. Now I know, I know, and I, I'm looking out among you and I'm feeling it in myself. Um, old, young, it's all a matter of perspective, isn't it? Um, I, I go now to, to some of these official people. My doctor is younger than I am. And he's been younger than I am the whole time I've been going to him. And he reminds me that I'm not as young as I used to be. And, and I go, and, and sometimes I'll go, and, and, and I, I really can't tell age anymore for two reasons. One is, I see kids that don't look like that they're old enough to drive, and, you know, they're in the military. I, I go to the hospital, and... You know, this little girl is checking me in. I'm, I'm assuming she's in her 20s, you know. I, I go to the physician's assistant that I, I think is probably about 18. I know that can't be. So we know that youth is a matter of perspective. But, but young enough that Paul says, Timothy, don't let anybody despise you for your youth. 
So Timothy's a young guy. Uh, Paul is writing to Timothy. And, and the reason for this letter is to give instructions for the church. Paul has Timothy, this young pastor, and he's in Ephesus. And so he's writing to Timothy, giving him instructions for this church. And now some of these things are very specific. Um, I don't recall if it's in the first or second letter. Paul tells Timothy to drink a little wine for your stomach. Boy, have I used, heard that. I haven't used that. I need to clarify. <laughs> Boy, have I heard that used a lot. Um, and I say, first of all, your name's not Timothy, and Paul didn't tell you that. Um, so there's some things that are specific, but there are many, many, many things in this letter that Paul is writing, and it's giving instructions that not only apply for the church in Ephesus, but that apply for us. So Timothy, let's talk about him for a minute. Timothy was raised in a godly home. Don't you love that? That, by the way, is God's design. That is God's pattern. And, and it didn't start only in the New Testament. It started back in the Old Testament. If you remember Deuteronomy chapter 6, we've gone through it many times. That God is telling parents, raise up your children to follow the commands and statutes of the Lord and do it all through their life. And, and by the way, for, for you two guys that are um, doing the 18 adulting thing really soon, going off um i really can't find anywhere in scripture where they quit being your parents and you quit being their child now the way that happens what that looks like changes but they're still your parents and they're they're still you're still their child i tell my daughters that all the time as long as we're both alive and sometimes that's a little bit more tenuous than others as long as we're both alive i'm your dad and you're my daughters timothy was raised in a godly home and it's no guarantee that if a child is raised in a godly home that they'll come to faith in Christ. But there is a principle that's followed there, and we, we claim it. A lot of times as a promise, it's really a principle. Train up a child in the way they shall go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. That's Timothy. It says in 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul is writing to him in, in a second later, I am reminded of your sincere faith. Sincere here means pure, true, without without fault without blemish your pure faith is what he's saying a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother lois i love that my grandmother's name is lois and she's one of the ones that led me to the lord and your mother eunice that's where i depart my name's not timothy and my my mother and grandmother had the same name lois lois evelyn and lois marie it's another story about that that i nearly gave my two aunts heart attacks when they asked how Lois was doing, my mother had passed away a few years before, and I said, oh, you haven't heard. She, she passed away. <laughs> After a little bit, they said, no, honey, your grandmother, not your mother. <laughs> First dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure this isn't one of those I hope it's true. It's one of those I know it's true. I'm sure dwells in you as well. So Timothy was raised in a godly family. He was given that foundation of faith. And, and he began to walk with the Lord. Now Paul calls him my true child in the faith. It's the same phrase that's used for Titus. But we, we don't really, just because of the other things he says here, um, uh, going back to his grandmother and his mother, don't really think that Paul led Timothy to the Lord. 
That was probably his mother and his grandmother. But he was taught by Paul. Paul took him under his wing, and, and Paul mentored him, we would say, or discipled him. And, and, and I, I, just, I can just picture Timothy shadowing Paul. Now, I don't know what that would have been like. How would you like to shadow Paul, the apostle? <laughs> Timothy got to hang out with him. Timothy shadowed him. And Timothy learned from him. I, I would, I almost, you know, they, they couldn't, they didn't have like their little moleskins. You know what those are? No, if you don't, little notebook. Timothy didn't have a little notebook, but I bet he wished he had to write all these things down that, that Paul had said. In 2 Timothy 2.1, here's what Paul writes to Timothy that lets us know this. He said, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... In other words, all those years, Timothy, that you tagged along with me, that you walked along, that you followed me and shadowed me, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He was, he was raised in a godly home. He was taught by Paul, but he was called by God. At the end of 1 Timothy, uh, the letter, chapter 6, verse 20, the, the first part of it says this, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Now, Paul uses the word deposit in a couple of different ways, but here I believe he's talking about the calling that God has called him to. And he's saying, Timothy, you've been called by God. You need to be sure that you're doing what you're called to do. Raised in a godly family, taught by Paul. Didn't get much better than that. But, but best of all, he was called by God to be pastor. That's the context of this letter as, as we, we launch into it in the next few weeks. The Apostle Paul, the guy who remembers, I believe, every day he woke up remembering what God had saved him from, is writing to this young pastor, encouraging him in his walk, encouraging him in his faith, uh, we'll see admonishing him to stand firm, not to go astray like some. And giving instructions for this, this church in Ephesus. Later, we see, as Paul goes through Ephesus one last time, that, that there's, a, there's a, a great crowd of people. I, I believe it was because of the ministry that Paul had had there. Let me, let me give you uh, this, I can't even say, usually I like to say what the theme is. The theme is really instructions for the church, but uh, let me give you something that, that for me out of this, this first letter uh, is just something to hang on to, something to remember as we go all the way through this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, and it's this. It's the gospel in a nutshell. I don't say that to diminish the gospel at all, and we could spend uh, from now till Jesus comes back exploring all the ramifications of the gospel and salvation for us, the good news. But Paul says something in chapter 1, verse 15 in 1 Timothy that, that to me is just something that, that we need to remember all the time as we go through this. Here's what he says. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So this isn't something that's original with Paul. This is something that was really handed down to Paul. 
that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Now remember who writes this. This is the guy who was responsible for the death of many, many believers. And Paul, as he begins this letter to Timothy, is he, he's going to tell Timothy to do some hard things in the church. And, and I think Paul is, is saying this to Timothy to say, Timothy, don't ever forget this. Don't forget this. The reason that we do what we do the reason that we go through the hardships and the sufferings, the, the reason that we make the sacrifices is this, that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Jesus came to save sinners. That's, that's the gospel in a nutshell. Those who couldn't save themselves, which is all of us. Jesus came to save sinners. And then Paul says, Timothy, remember who's telling you this. I consider myself to be the foremost. I think Paul would say that, that he was the least of the saints. That's his view. So, so let me encourage you with this as we, as we prepare to launch into to this great letter to Timothy from Paul. That no matter what's happening, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter where you are in life, no matter what you're about to enter into in life, some of you are, are getting ready to go into the, the unknown in a lot of ways. Not just our graduates, we have others. that are, You're getting ready to step into a, a, a new area of life, somewhere that's different for you. Can I encourage you to do this thing? Anchor yourself in Christ. And remember that Jesus came to save sinners. And you're like, well, I did that a long time ago. For me, it was July 14th, 1982. I, I just knelt down for me. Not everybody, it was at 2 a.m. I'm just weird that way that I remember these things. And you may say, I did that a long time ago. So what, what is there to save me from? Hey, listen, Jesus came to save sinners. He came to save us from loneliness. He came to save us from broken relationships, from brokenness. He came to save us from doubt and fear and despair. In fact, when we talk about Jesus as Redeemer, it's really important for us to remember that Jesus came to redeem every area of your life. In fact, we're very self-centered. We think it's all about us. Um, this is a, a big topic for another time. But Jesus came to redeem all of creation. Now, not in the same way we do, relationship with God. But imagine, imagine if Christ came to redeem every area of your life and you surrendered that to him. That's the gospel in a nutshell. nutshell. Jesus came to save. As we, as we enter a time now of, of uh, communion, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to God the way that he's spoken to your heart. And, and let me tell you three ways that you can do that. Uh, the first way is uh, in this invitation and response, you can come and, and I would be glad to talk with you. I would be glad to pray with you. 
The second thing, the second way is this, that, that you can respond by just simply coming and, and praying here uh, at the altar. The third way, maybe the most obvious, is, is you can just respond to God where you are in the chair that you're in. But I want to give you a moment to be able to do that, to to be able to reflect on the fact that Christ came to save you in every area of your life. And really, as we take the Lord's Supper together, that's what we're remembering, remembering his body that was broken for us. Scripture tells us that he who knew no sin became sin. He became our sin. God took our sin and placed it upon him on the cross. And then God poured his wrath for our sin out upon Christ. We take the juice, which is symbolic for the blood, to remember that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. We do this together as a body. um, to Symbolize that we're one in the body of Christ. So I would ask you to, to bow your head and to close your eyes, and, and I want to give you an opportunity uh, to respond the way that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you.